Belair, it's a great honor to join you in worship today. Not actually physically present in the sanctuary, but I'm streaming live right now, all the way from Texas. I'm there with my wife's family. And while I'm away, it's with great joy that I can announce that Dr. Henry Cloud will be teaching today in both our morning services. And Dr. Henry Cloud, many of you already know, is a best-selling author of Boundaries and many other books that have changed the lives of millions. He's a co-host of a nationally syndicated radio program. New Life Live. You've seen him on television. Many of you have also seen him as an active member of this church. Well, Henry actually played a huge role in my life about a decade and a half ago. I actually, after purchasing his book, Boundaries, reading through that and actually making some huge decisions to enable me to have healthier relationships, I actually met him after he was teaching at a church down the west side. And I walked up to him afterwards and I asked him a few questions because at that point I really wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life after I graduated college. And that conversation served as a catalyst for me to eventually apply to Fuller Seminary, to eventually go into ministry, to eventually now be the senior pastor of this church. So he played such a huge role in my life. Who knows what this moment in this service will do for some of you as you listen to the words that he'll share with us that I know will be a tremendous asset for us as we end 2014 and as we step into this new year together. So without further ado, it's with great honor that I can announce to you Dr. Henry Cloud. Hey guys. Good morning. I told the early service that they were the real spiritual people because they're here early. I actually did that to make them feel good because I know that you guys were up before them praying for them. And that's why you come at 11. So, so it's good to be here. Um, New Year's. Are you ready to hear one more New Year's resolution sermon? Well, you're going to. Um, it's that time where we have this kind of a gap week that a lot of people use to look back over the previous year, kind of take an audit and look forward and to begin to think about what do I, what kind of changes do I want to make? What do I want to make different? Now I can spare some of you um, the next few minutes of having to sit through this. If you've got it all together, there are no changes you need to make in your life. You don't have any issues. Anybody like that in here? You have no issues? Got it all? No victory in Jesus types? Wait a minute, I see a hand. There you could, Sir, could you stand? Please, right here in the grave. Just, just please stand. And ju just wave at everybody. Because I, I this is the man with no issues. I wanted him to stand this morning because it's really important, really important for the rest of us to know what denial looks like. That's just, it's, it's a key... Just kidding. We all have these areas, right? God's not, not done with any of us yet. But the reality is that we get to this time of year, and other times actually, where we say, you know, there's this gap in where I am in some area and where I want to be. It could be in a relationship, it could be in a marriage, it could be in a dating relationship, should not be in both. <laughs> Do the math. It could be in your business, it could be in a clinical arena, a depression or an addiction. But here's where we are and here's where we want to be. We look at this gap and this is a time 
that oftentimes we use to say, okay, this year I'm going to close the gap. And so what I want to talk about this morning is a little bit about how that happens because you guys probably know the research. The research on New Year's resolutions is not promising. You know, for all the people that make them, and you'll get different statistics on this, but for all the people that make them, the vast majority have kind of fizzled out in the next three weeks. They're gone. So you could save yourself three weeks by not even trying. And then there's another big chunk that drop away after that. And there are a few people that kind of make it. So here's the deal. I would like to save you this morning from making New Year's resolutions that will not work. What we're going to talk about for a few minutes here is how change really happens. And what I believe as um, just a journeyer along with you and as a psychologist and as a student of the Bible and the spiritual life, that life change, and I can promise you life change happens. I can promise you it happens. But I can also promise you something else. That as we look at the entire universe of how change occurs, and you start to analyze all of it, there are only two ways. One of them fails every time, and it is the most common way that humans try to resolve to change, and it's guaranteed to failure. And another one is the one that works. So what I want to do this morning is share a little bit about two systems of change, one that the Bible refers to as law, and the other the Bible refers to as grace. So what I want to do this morning is to have all of us resolve that we're going to, whatever it is you're looking to change this year, that it could be change that happens from the one that works. All right, so let's hop into it. You know, this change thing is hard. I, I couldn't remember. I, I uh, shared with you guys, I think a couple of years ago, and I was coming off one of those per periods of a lot of travel and I get off my routines and all that, and when I travel a lot, I do the same thing every time. I just get fat. I mean, I just do, because I, you know, I'm flying somewhere late, and I'm not going to work out at one in the morning. I got a seven o'clock meeting on East Coast time, and I just get fat. And so I'm in this period, and I just started packing on the pounds, and and so I'm telling myself, okay, I got to get back on my program. Sort of sounds like a New Year's resolution, right? I got to get back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I didn't do it. And I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I didn't do it. And I said, I'm going to do it. And so I was reading one of those stupid books I write. And what it said was <laughs> that if there's something you really want to do and you tell yourself you're going to do it, you're going to change it, and you really want to do it, and you tell yourself you're going to do it, and you're going to change it, and you don't do it, you're not going to do it. That's what it said right there in the book. I mean, if you really have the motivation and you have the desire and all that, and you really want to and you're not doing it and you don't do it, you're not going to do it. So I kept reading. <laughs> and what it said was that there's hope if you reach outside yourself for help. Because obviously you're at the end of your own, own capacities. So I said, all right, I'm going to do what the book says. And so I call the gym and I hire a trainer. And so they assigned me this young, mean, skinny woman. 
Now I show up six o'clock in the morning and she's from the first day, she just starts to work me. And so I'm going like two or three times a week and I'm back on my program and I'm really proud of myself and she's working me and things are going great. And I'm really just, I'm tearing it up for like forever. Now my wife says it's really about three weeks, but at this point, I'm thinking this forever. At this point, one morning, she is just driving me, and this woman is mean. I don't know what happened to her in toilet training, but it did not go well. She is mean, so she, but she's inflicting that same methodology on me at this point. And all of a sudden, one morning, I'm doing some kind of working on a core or whatever that is, and I stopped, and I looked at her, and I said, oh, no. She said, what? I said, we forgot to take the before pictures. <laughs> she looks at me and she says, oh, we still can. <laughs> now, I don't know where she went to motivate people school. But I do know this, that life change is hard. Even when you got the young, skinny, mean woman yelling at you at six o'clock, it's hard. And all of us know that because we have these patterns. I often tell people, we don't need new, new pattern. We don't need, need new ways to fail. The old ones are working just fine. And we have these patterns. And the hardest resolutions that we make of life change have to do with changing deeply ingrained patterns. And it's hard. This life change thing is hard. I rem remember when I was... Um, when I graduated from college, before I went to graduate school to become um, a psychologist, I, I took a year out to see if, you know, just to kind of make sure that's what I wanted to do. And I went to work in a hospital, a psychiatric hospital. And so I had a really fancy title. I was a, a psychiatric aide. And what that meant was I walked around and, you know, served patients trays and sat in groups and took vital signs and was good for nothing really, but they need bodies. And so I'm there. And I'll never forget the first day I show up and I go to the nurse's station and, and I'm waiting on Nurse Ratchet to give me my orders. And I'm so excited because my life mission is about to unfold in front of me. And I look down the hallway and way at the end of the hall, this little lady steps out of, of her room. A little missionary lady, she was about this tall, black, black missionary bun on top of her head and her pink bathrobe. And I remember I saw her and I said, oh gosh, that's... God, this is my future. This is what I've given my life to. I'm going to help people. And I was so excited because I was going to come into this, this place and, and tell them about God and, and life and, and cure everybody. And this is going to be a great calling. So I'm looking at her. I'm getting all inspired. And all of a sudden, she grabs her bathrobe. She rips it open. And she says, I am Mother Mary of God. I am Mary, Mother of God. And I had an epiphany. And I saw it written across the sky. This is going to be harder than I thought. <laughs> and I found that to be true. This life change stuff is hard. But it works. So how does it not work? Let me tell you a story. Actually, this story begins way back with Moses because this was his method. The method that doesn't work. Now, that sounds funny, right? Because I'm saying that... that that Moses gave us a method that doesn't work? Well, that's exactly what the Bible says. That this first method called the law, Moses stepped off the hill and he gave us the first diet. Ten things you're supposed to eat and not eat. 
And this law that God gave was basically the standard. And he said, we're to live up to this standard. And you go to the New Testament, and what do you read? It says in Romans, it says that, that the law was useless to change us. It was powerless to change us. And yet that's what everyone does at New Year's. We come off the hill with a new list of shoulds. I'm going to live this way when I haven't lived that way. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to not do these things. And we have this list. And what happens every single time is exactly as the Bible says, every single time it says that fails. Now, why is that? Well, let me tell you a story. And before I tell you a story, I want to read our scripture from this morning, for this morning. I think we've got it up there, if I didn't throw things out of sync too much. It's from Ephesians 4, and it says this. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance and the hardness of their heart. They've lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Little different words in this version. That's not the way you learned about Christ, however, for you've been taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former And here's a phrase, way of life. Your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourself with the new self created according to the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, in this scripture, in this passage, what it says is that there's a futility that we can live in a futility of mind where we really don't understand. That's the way of doing New Year's resolutions. It makes sense to us. We think, well, I'm going to set a goal and go reach it. How many of you have ever worked in a business like that? You've got a boss that says, here's your quarterly goals. Now go reach them. And you go out and you do the best you can. You don't reach them. You get a spanking and they send you out the next quarter. Or that's the way we parent our kids. Got to make this great, or you got to do this, and they don't reach it. And and see this thing of setting a goal or setting a standard and expecting to live up to that just basically never works in areas where we're not doing well. But there's another way. A number of years ago, a man came to me who was the chairman of the board of a, a it's actually a ministry. And he said, I need some help with our president, the president of the ministry. I, I said, what's wrong? He said, well, I'm really worried about his health. He said, he's, he's gained about 150 pounds. And I said, well, that's serious. What's, you know, why? He said, well, you know, he, he just is. It's getting, getting bad. He said that, that, you know, diabetes is setting in and, and he's got to have a hip replacement. And the worst part of it, as I was listening to it, was he said his father died of a heart attack at 45, and this this man had three young kids. And he was like late 40s, 50-ish. And I said, okay, so this is is serious. I I said, well, what have you tried? And he said, well, the, the doctor put him on a diet and exercise program. Okay, This is how he's supposed to be living. And 
I have decided, my friend said, he said, I've decided to be his accountability partner. And so I meet with him every week to hold him accountable. And I've been doing this for about six months. And I said, well, how's it going? He said, he's gaining weight. I said, he's gaining weight with you as his accountability partner? He says, yeah, he's putting on the pounds still. I said, well, well, what do you do? He said, well, I hold him accountable. I said, well, to what? And he said, well, to his diet and exercise. I hold him accountable to what he's supposed to, you know, the standard of how much he's supposed to eat and not eat and his workout and all that. And I hold him accountable. I said, and he's gaining weight. And he said, yeah. I said, well, does he stick to it? And he says, well, no, not really. I mean, he tries, but then he doesn't quite do it. I said, what do you do then? He says, well, I hold him accountable. I said, well, what does that look like? He said, well, we go over what he was supposed to do, and he didn't do it, and he failed, and we pray for forgiveness, and I hold him accountable. And then he goes out to the next week. I said, and so then he doesn't do it again. He goes, yeah, he tries, but he really doesn't quite do it. And I said, well, then what do you do? He said, I hold him accountable. I said, do you do anything else? He said, no, I'm holding him accountable. I said, do you care about this guy? He said, yeah, I love this guy. I said, well, you better call him and tell him you're not going to hold him accountable anymore because you're going to kill him. <laughs> he said, what are you talking about? I said, because what you're doing is guaranteed to fail. He said, why? I said, because there's no grace there. He said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, I'm very gracious. We, we, we pray for forgiveness. I don't condemn him, all of that. I said, I understand that, but there's no grace here in the way the Bible talks about life change happening. He said, what do you mean? I said, because grace doesn't mean just acceptance. If we just accept this situation and have no standard, he is going to die. Now, we accept him, and we, we think of grace being God's unconditional acceptance, which he does. He accepts us. But it's more than that. Grace is more than acceptance. Grace are two words called unmerited favor. That's the theological real meaning of grace. He said, what do you mean unmerited favor? I said, unmerited means that we can't produce it. Favor means something good that's brought to us. So grace really means that for this man to get better, what the Bible says is that it only comes through grace that we have got to bring things to him that he can't produce on, its own, on his own that are gifts to him, that are favors, that allow him not to do away with the standard, but to empower him to reach the standard. That's what grace does. And see, so the New Year's resolution path of the world and that we're all born with is here we are, here's the standard, I'm going to be a better husband, I'm going to be a better father or mother or boss or salesperson or in my career or healthy, and I'm going to live up to this standard. And it absolutely will not work because I haven't changed. How's it going to be any different? And see, when he was holding him accountable without any unmerited favor coming to help him to reach that standard, that standard would never be reached. He said, well, what does that look like? And I said, well, for one thing, he's not able to reach the standard because he doesn't have, apparently he has no self-discipline. He goes, you're right. He doesn't have any self-discipline. He needs to get some self-discipline. I'm going to tell him 
That's how, now, thank you. I get it. He's got to get some self-discipline, and I'm going to tell him. I said, stop it. What do you mean you're going to tell him to get self-discipline? You told me he doesn't have any. He said, right, he needs to get some. I said, which self is he going to get that from? You just told me this self ain't got none. As we used to say in the South, when I was growing up, that dog ain't going to hunt. I mean, it just doesn't have what it takes to pull it off. He said, well, where's he going to get it? I said, he's going to get it from grace. Unmerited, what he can't produce, self-discipline, favor, unmerited favor. He said, what does that look like? I said, well, self-discipline is always the fruit of other discipline. When your kids were toddlers, you didn't go off on a trip, leave them with a diet and say, stick to it. They didn't have the self-discipline to do that. You had to provide them to give them grace. Didn't mean just to forgive them when they wrecked the house. No, it meant that you provided the structure and the discipline that they didn't have. That's grace. He said, what does that look like? And I said, well, you have five guys that love this guy? And he says, yeah. I said, well, you get, are, are they kind of in shape? Are they healthy? He says, yeah, I can, of course. I can find five of those. I said, well, on Monday at lunchtime, Sam shows up and knocks on his door. He says, come on, we're going for a 45-minute walk. And on Tuesday, Joey shows up and says, I go to the gym. Come on, you're going with me. We're going to ride the bike. And on Wednesday, somebody else does. I said, look, he doesn't possess it. You're going to bring it to him to help him to reach that standard. That's grace. See, the way we look at grace a lot of times is... We continue to have year after year fail the standard and thank God that you forgive me and we think that's grace. Grace did not come so we could repeat our old life next year. Grace came so we could have something entirely new. But what we think is I'm going to wake up tomorrow and somehow do better with what I've got. No, I need something inside of me to produce that result. The best coaches know this. The best psychologists know this. The best trainers know this. The best business leaders know this. They don't just set a goal for their organization without realizing that they've got to pour in the ingredients to help their people to reach that standard. And yet the worst companies do the opposite. They operate according to the law. The worst parents do the opposite. The worst marriages operate as the law to each other, as we look at each other and say, well, you should be this way, and you should be this way, and you should be this way, and you should be this way. It's never going to work. But the way that works is something the Bible calls grace. I like to refer to it as through a metaphor of physics. If any of you remember your high school physics, there's a law called the second law of thermodynamics. And what that means is in a closed system, over time, everything runs down. It runs out of energy. It runs out, just, it gets sicker over time. We just don't, we just run out. But you can reverse that process called entropy by opening up the system to two things, new sources of energy and new intelligence. 
That's what God did at Christmas. See, we're in our lives, and it could be, you could be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old or more. And we can have ways of living that certainly there's good stuff going on in there, but until we open up the system of who we are to two new things, the energy source that God provides in a relationship with Him and through those men knocking on that man's door every, time, every day at lunch or your support group or however, whoever it is that comes into our lives. Until we have that new energy source and the new intelligence that it brings to show us new ways of being a husband, a father, a business person, a mother, whatever it is, we will repeat the same patterns over and over and over. So what I wanted you to kind of think about this morning is if you put yourself in the seat of that man I was talking about, the first thing I talked about was the discipline that he needed some people to bring some to him. But as I continued the conversation, put yourself in this seat as well, because that might not be you. You may be the second part of him where I said, by the way, why is he, why is he binge eating all the time? People usually do that because they're medicating something. It's not just eating. We medicate ourselves in lots of ways that aren't good for us. I said, but what's driving, what hunger is driving this? And he said, well, I don't know. What would that be? I said, well, has he had a lot of stuff happen to him? Is he in pain in the last few years? Any kind of stuff that's been hard for him? And he said, well, yeah. He said, and he, he told me about three deaths that he had had in his family. I said, well, where's he been going to process this pain and this grief? You know, the Bible says that when we have pain inside of us, that, that it's got to be grieved and mourned. And not only that, it's got to be grieved and mourned with help from the outside, that someone has to weep with us while we're weeping. Many of you are walking around, and things are going on in your life, and what you have never considered is maybe it's not just failure on your part. Maybe there's some pain behind that that's driving that pattern. Have you ever wondered why your tear ducts are in your eyes? Probably you wake up every night just wondering about that question, don't you? You ever wondered about that? Think about it. God could have put them anywhere he wanted. Why didn't he just put your tear ducts under your arm? Because then nobody could see them and you could spray some stuff in there and nobody would even know about it. They wouldn't even smell. God put your tear ducts in your eyes because it's the one place where someone else can be looking into your soul and seeing your pain. And in that process, grace is given to you where that pain is transformed. And we even know this from neuroscience now, that when emotions are named and shared in a relationship, they transform into new structures in the brain that actually move forward instead of staying stuck. So I asked him, I said, where's he doing that? He said, nowhere. So we put him in a, in a grief group where he had to begin to talk about some of the stuff that he was eating over. I said, by the way, he's the president, he's the CEO of this organization. He said, yeah. So where'd you get him from? He said, oh, he was our COO before. I said, he's the COO and now he's the CEO. He said, yeah. 
I said, where'd the E come from? He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, he's the COO and now he's the CEO. Where'd he get the E? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, E, the CEO, is an executive function. And my hunch is, unless that, that a lot of that stuff has been built into him and coached and he's learning some new stuff about being a CEO, he's probably overwhelmed. He's probably eating himself silly because he needs some training and some development. That's what the great CEOs always have. So we got him a good CEO coach. About a year and a half later, after bringing structure to his life, after having him process his pain and have it heal, and after having a good CEO coach in his corner along with another group, about a year and a half later, he was back healthy. Now I can promise you he had made hundreds of resolutions to get healthy. But until grace comes to us and we obey grace, we can make all the New Year's resolutions in the world and we won't get there. And there's kind of a simple reason for this. See this pen? This is a pen. Should this pen write? Yeah, it ought to write. I mean, it's designed to write, right? It's designed to work. Well, let's see. Okay. Let's see if this pen will write. Watch this. That's the ink. I just want to take the ink out of it. Let me ask you a question. Should this pen write? Why not? It's a pen. It's designed to write. Come on, you guys. Pen, you should write. Didn't write. Bad pen. Repent. Okay, what? You're sorry? Okay, you'll try harder? Okay. Bad pen. You must not really want it. Guess what we do each day with ourselves, with our spouses, with our children, with our employees? We look at them and say, well, you look grown. <laughs> you look, you're in a 40-year-old body. Why do you act like a six-year-old sometimes? Well, you know what? It may be that grace has never come to them. That there are areas where your spouse has never had placed into them the ability to listen, maybe. Or the ability to do whatever's needed in that relationship. Now, that doesn't mean it's hopeless. What it means is that the methodology of judging each other is not going to be the methodology that changes. Or that the impulse control that you need to change some area of your life has never been put into you. That doesn't mean it's hopeless. It just means that it's not going to come from you. So here's what I'd like to leave you with this morning. <clears throat> I would like for you to leave something here. I would like for, as you go out and you look at next year and think about how you change your life, I want you to leave in this sanctuary this morning or wherever you're listening, I want you to leave something that Paul asks us to leave in the book of Romans. And as Ephesians told us this morning, there's this old way we're going to put off. And the old way is thinking, I'm looking at a standard and by golly, through commitment and hard grit, I'm going to reach it. Certainly those are important. But that system doesn't work if that's all we have. Because I'm still the same old pen. I need some ink. I need some grace. 
Paul says in Romans that we are to die to the law. I would like for you to leave the law in this sanctuary this morning. Put it at the altar and say, God, I am going to surrender and I'm going to die to the thinking that I can reach some sort of life change all by myself. And I'm going to die to that law. And I'm going to come to grace. And to come to grace, all that means is that we look up to him and say, God, there's an area I want to change. I can't change it by myself. I need you to provide for me what I don't have, and I will obey grace when it shows up. And what will it look like? He'll do it in a million different ways. You just have to be looking for it. But I can guarantee you one thing. As 1 Peter 4.10 says, that when we use our gifts with one another, that we are administering the grace of God in its various forms. Now listen to that phrase. The grace of God in its various forms. When somebody helps somebody get in shape, when somebody helps somebody figure out a budget, when somebody helps somebody be a better executive, when somebody helps somebody be a better parent or husband or wife through a small group, a mentor, a coach, a shrink, a buddy, whatever it is, that is God administering His grace in its various forms. I encourage you, believe that new life and change is possible because it is. But don't seek it in a way that's guaranteed to fail. Seek it by asking for the grace of God to come into your life. And when it does, grasp that grace. And I promise you, He can change whatever it is you're trying to change. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time of year where we remember that you came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, I want to highlight a couple of your words in this prayer. You said you did not condemn the world. And you didn't come to condemn the world or judge the world, but you came to seek and to save that which was lost. God, I pray right now that wherever people are, that they could reach up to you in the silence of their hearts and ask you to make that acceptance real to them. Speak to their heart, Jesus, that they are forgiven if they've reached out to you, that you did not come to condemn. And God, I pray that you help all of us to realize the forgiveness for last year and the previous years before that that you offer us if we take it. But then you said you came to seek and to save that which was lost. You're looking for these areas. God, show them to us that you want to change. Show those areas that you want to make new. And then God healed them. Heal them and bring to each person here the people, the groups, the coaching, the intelligence, the principles, wherever they might find it. I pray that for everyone who asks that this next year could be a year of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all join me in thanking Henry so much? Thank you for those great words.